I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Welcome, everyone, inside the Celtics Life Podcast. I'm Mark Allison, here with my man, Justin Quinn. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors are currently facing elimination in their respective conference finals. Boston being poised to take out the Cavs. But before we get on into all this madness, how are we feeling about the Houston Rockets knocking off the Golden State Warriors in Game 5 at home, taking a 3-2 series lead? Justin, what's going on, my man? I I don't know what to make of this postseason. It's been one of the most interesting in terms of the narratives and one of the least interesting in terms of the blowouts. So last night, being the close game that it was and ending, in my opinion, the way that Boston would like it to end if we are lucky enough to progress on to the, to the finals, it's been quite, quite interesting. Yeah, and what do you make of that? So uh, obviously the Golden State... Houston series has been – they haven't all – each team has won a game on the road. Uh, but so far the Celtics staying true to their form this entire postseason, aside from one uh, win in Philadelphia, that they're taking care of home court. What, what do you make of the just the, the play at, at home versus the road, the advantage? I mean, how, how is it just working out this way where it's like this, these teams seem to have such a big advantage uh, on their home floor? Well, I mean, home court advantage is always a thing, but – not like this. And I'll be honest, I don't have an explanation for it. I've seen some good think pieces that say maybe the amplification of the fouls combined with Boston's style of play is at least partially, you know, to, to explain that. But that would make more sense, you know, like, let me, let me back up a little bit. Boston's calling card is defense, and the reason why they have been able to perform at such high levels despite all these injuries is because their, their defense is so elite and that will keep a team close unless somebody just goes off in a way that they haven't figured out how to, how to cover, which has happened to Boston a couple times in the postseason, usually away. But it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in my mind why home court advantage is converting into such a big boost, even, even with the defensive thing. Because you would think that normal, normal home court advantage would give a, a team like Boston just enough to get over the hump so long as their defense stays, you know, top of the league-ish throughout the course of, of, of the series. But what's been happening instead is these big blowouts, kind of like what's going on in the West Coast, though, not after last night. But that's really been like a, a tale of parallel series. And like now we're sitting in a situation where we are poised to have not only the Cavs under a threat of elimination, but also the Warriors. So the presumptive favorites to come out of both conference are now looking at being eliminated, which is just nuts to me. Yeah, and so... I mean, obviously, the Celtics have been shocking people all throughout this playoffs. Um, we, we talked about this last week on the pod. Uh, playing against the Milwaukee in the first round, we thought that they would beat Milwaukee. Uh, not a lot of people around the league did. And obviously, you know, there's a little home bias there. But at the same time, we knew what the team was capable of, at least on the defensive end. And the, the Philadelphia series is where things started to shock everybody. Um, to beat them 4-1, that people had them. There was a lot of people saying they were going to sweep us. You know these these uh, NBA pundits. Like everybody thought that they were just you know the superior talent. And um, then we come into the Cavs series, win the first two games, shock everybody again. Obviously, a little step back when we lost the two games on the road. But they're you know three two lead right now. It's uh, it's remarkable uh, that you know they've gotten. We we were talking about how everything from this point was gravy. Um. 
after the first round win, we, we wanted them to win the first round and everything else was gravy. Well, there's a lot of gravy on the plate right now that it's coming over the sides. And uh, <laughs> I'm just like, and now we've come to the point where it, it would be a disappointment to lose to Cleveland, don't you think? I mean, after 2-0 series lead, up 3-2 now, I expect them to have some struggles tonight again. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they lose this game. Um, I, I'm actually curious to see how Cleveland responds with their back against the wall. I mean, we know LeBron will show up for the game, whether or not his shooters do, um, whether or not Ty Lue has another boneheaded meltdown, and we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I feel comfortable with the Celtics going into a game seven, despite the young guys, despite like they play so well at the Garden. Um, I, I'm, I'm confident, and I'm at the point where if they lost now, I would be disappointed. Whereas if you asked me that at the beginning of the series, I would have said, no, nah, I mean, I would like them to win, but obviously, you know, with given the injuries and whatnot, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily like expect it. No, how could you not be disappointed at this point? I mean, you know, with a little bit of distance, no matter what ends up happening, I think we'll be able to talk ourselves into being comfortable with this season quite easily, given even if we had had Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving at the beginning of the season, if you had said to us that we would not only win at least one more game in the conference finals than we did last year, never mind reach them again, but that we would start out with a 2-0 lead, you know, I, I don't think that you would you would find yourself in a situation to say that that is a step backwards, particularly now that we have gone on to take a 3-2 series lead and have two shots, not just one, but two shots to eliminate LeBron and frankly, I would really rather see it happen on his home court since he has done it to Boston more than once on our home court. Yeah, and for this would be an ultimate payback for all the for all the um, uh, grievances he's caused us over the last several years, basically killing off the uh, our last big three era. Um, yep. And, oh, and we had a three two series lead in in twenty twelve over the Cavs. Um, and uh, not, I'm sorry, the Heat. <laughs> but, <laughs> same thing, uh, same thing. Uh, no, no, but right. Um, but the um, the LeBrons for us to be able to take it full circle. I mean, we were the spoiler on him when he was still in Cleveland. Um, we played spoiler a couple years there, where he could have made it to the finals. And for to be able to take it full circle, I know we talked about this in depth on the last pod, but just to be able to descend him on his way out of Cleveland, hopefully to the West Coast, quite poetic would be right. It would be full circle for sure. Here's an interesting thing that a buddy of mine brought up yesterday. Uh, okay. Watching the, the Golden State Rockets game. Get back to that for a second. Mm. These two teams yesterday, uh, obviously Golden State was out without Iguodala yesterday. They're kind of their utility knife. Um, and obviously that that is a factor for them. He's like kind of like that utility, almost like the way the Celtics have Marcus Smart where he's kind of this Very good, yeah. A bunch of different roles, does a lot of different things. And, and there, you know, despite that, somehow the two defenses yesterday, neither one of those teams scored 100 points, which I, I mean, I would have guessed either one of the teams could have won that game yesterday. But if you would have told me that neither one of those teams was going to score 100 points, considering that neither one of them is very good at, on the defensive end, that's pretty incredible, if you ask me. It's kind of what I would envision if Boston ends up playing either of those teams. 
I will be obviously, along with most of our listeners, very, very happy with drawing either of them if we end up passing Cleveland. We can get to that in a second. But for me, I think one of the most interesting things about the matchup is it's it's going to have to be a drag down defensive fight for Boston no matter what. And both of those teams have elite defenses, different but similar enough that it's going to be, I think, a low scoring affair unless there is a blowout on Boston side. I, I don't realistically see Boston having the offense to create a blowout for either Mm -hmm. of those teams should we end up matching up with them. But there is the situation going on with Chris Paul that we should probably talk about. Right. So Paul's been dealing with some leg issues uh, throughout the playoffs. And then last night uh, he went down. I, I, I assumed, I thought it was something to do. I thought it was his ankle. Um, Buddy of mine pointed out that that looked like a hammy injury. Um, That's what the word is out of Houston right now, that it is a problem with hamstring. He played through it last night. The Rockets got the W, but, you know, how does that affect them going forward? I mean, uh, if he's not at 100%, I think they are going to have a very difficult time closing out Golden State, and which is unfortunate because I, uh, as we and you have talked about and our, our other buddies on the pod, Tilfer and, and Lewis, we would obviously prefer to play the Rockets. And I, and I don't necessarily I – mean, the Rockets are a great team too. I think is a lot less – that we would have to focus on to deal with. Whereas when you have the, the Warriors, I mean, you've got three guys that can score 50 points, uh, you know, and, you know, with the Rockets, you can really focus on Harden and just try your best to, to take Chris Ball out of the game. So, uh, obviously. Slightly easier matchup, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, and I, you know, in an ideal world, I would prefer to play them. So, how do you? What do you feel about this Chris Paul thing? Um. Well, he has played through the um, hamstring kind of injury in, bef- in I think it was 2015 in a series of who were they playing in 2015? Do you remember? Um. Uh, who? When Chris Paul was on the Clippers in 2015, he ended up injuring a hamstring, and he played at least one or two games to close out a series. I can't remember if they won or lost, but he's definitely been able to play through at least a grade one hamstring injury before. And we've seen Jalen do it. You know, he was clearly not as effective. Uh, I can't really remember. Like, I'm, I'm aware that he has done it before, so I'm pretty sure he's going to try to play. But, you know, he's a ball handler, and he's a very mobile guard, too. So he's not like a spot-up you know, shooter who just right. runs to a corner or anything like that. But that's what he might have to be at this point because he's not going to be able to, like, you know, attack the rim. Well, maybe he can. Who knows? But, I mean, I would think with, with a hamstring injury like that, with what it does to your lift and your speed and your ability to change direction, it's it's going to impact him significantly. So, you know, my, my initial exuberance about potentially facing off of Houston, when I heard that news, I was just like, or not. Yeah. Well, and, and, and here's what they'll probably do. Um, James Harden's probably going to have to dominate the ball. Um, I mean, which is not something that he's unaccustomed to uh, before <laughs> yeah. Chris Paul was here. Right. I mean, that's, that's what he did anyway. So, um, maybe they shift the offense a little bit. Chris Paul does, uh, maybe he's out there still. I mean, he can, if he can still play, he can still shoot. Um, you know, so he, if, if he does move to that role of being more of a spot up shooter and, and Harden goes back to old school, James Harden from last year and just completely, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it's not out of the question for Harden to drop 50 points in one of these games. Uh, more likely probably Game 7 if uh, in Houston if it goes that far. Um, I, I could see that 
totally is a possibility for sure. I would use him in a situation very similar to how when Jalen first returned from his hamstring injury, uh, have him come in on the second unit, you know, spell Harden for eight or 12 minutes, whatever, you know, if you don't need him at all, just don't even use him. And beyond beyond that one spell, maybe put him in the last two or three minutes if the game's close to try to close out, maybe. You know, I think that's probably, for at least game six in that series, I think that's probably their best use for him to go careful with him to hopefully give him a little more time to heal for game seven if it's necessary. So back to uh, game four. Uh, 2-2 after uh, Cleveland tied up the series after the two games in Cleveland. Uh, so just come back home, they basically controlled the game from start to finish it was uh there was a couple of runs maybe that cleveland made where they could have could have cut it uh somewhat in range but they never really never were really in the game no they they were you know it was that awful first quarter really i mean if you fall into a 19 point hole if you can even come close to crawling out of it you know, I know, I know the Celtics have done this all season long, but the stakes are a lot higher, and this team has had a lot more looks how Boston does climb out of these deep holes. So, really, that's just not a thing that can happen in the playoffs, uh, particularly this far into the playoffs. And even though they did win the the next three quarters, more or less, you know, either very very close or an outright win. That was what really sunk the game, though you, you really could say that after that awful first quarter that, at least for now, the series seems to have swung back in, in the direction of the Celtics. Right, and um, going into the game, so we had Coach Brad uh, was saying he was going to make some lineup adjustments and um, didn't announce the starters until just before tip-off, and uh, yet di- didn't change the starters, right? And so, you know, kind of throws a, you know, everyone is anticipating some kind of roster, you know, lineup change, starting lineup change. Brad's been known for this, not just this offseason, but going, you know, back to even last year and before that. Uh, he's always willing to throw different guys in the mix. So after getting absolutely smoked in game three, the Celtics went back, you know, game four in Cleveland again. Uh, another losing effort, although uh, not quite. They had some chances to get back into that game. Uh, they ended up losing by nine. Uh, 111, 102, but they, it, it definitely was much more of a game than, than game three, right? Oh, totally. I mean, you just, you just can't fall into 19, excuse me, 19 point holes to start the game out and expect to come out of it with a win, no matter how long you've been doing it all regular season, because this Cleveland team has had a good look at how it's done. You know, how Boston does pull out these, these deep holes and end up, you know, contending for a victory. And it, it wasn't enough, but I will say one thing that is positive is after that awful first quarter, basically Boston has won just about every quarter they played mm-hmm. since. Yes, they, you're, I, you're definitely right. So uh, we went into that game thinking Brad was going to make some adjustments to the lineup because uh, he said he was going to. Um, didn't change the starting lineup, but didn't announce it until the last second. I don't know if that was to throw Ty Lue for a loop. Uh, Lou also, and I'm not sure how much he did this in Game 3, but we noticed a lot in Game 4, he was playing matchups. He was putting in players. Uh, Tristan Thompson was coming in every time Al Horford came in. Uh, he was basically doing the same thing with, with Kyle Korver um, and Semi Ojale. Uh, Korver actually played really well against... Um, Jalen Brown in those two games over in uh, in Cleveland. So it's a little funny, and we're going to get into the semi-Ojale stuff in a second. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, what what did you think about the way that Lou, you know, playing the matchups like that and like shading player for player? It's almost like a hockey game. I was actually really impressed with what he was doing. I, I, I started to change my opinion of him as a coach. And then he uh, completely took a dump on that in the next game. But we can we can jump into that whenever you are interested. But, yeah, you know, like, he has been kind of a head-scratcher. And he shows some some pretty interesting signs. And this was one of them. I mean, seeing, seeing Jalen Brown get blocked not once but twice by Kyle Korver, who is, you know, not a horrible shot blocker. You know, I, I wouldn't quite say he's – Got the same kind of a role as Jalen Brown does, respectively, for the Celtics in that regard. But he he's he's no slouch in that in that uh, situation. You know, Terry Terry Rozier was basically he was just terrible. You know, he he was getting switched onto LeBron, and LeBron was just eating him for yeah, lunch. Yeah, he he was very unscary, Terry, in that those two games in Cleveland. And uh, you're, you're right, the, the the Cavs did a great job. They kept switching LeBron onto him. Um, yeah, back at him. I mean, Terry has no chance uh, with LeBron posting him up from twenty feet away. I mean, he can back him no. all the way to the basket. <laughs> it's like you know. And uh, I, the, the, go back to Corver for a second. Now, Corver may be a better defender than people give him credit for, but I swear those are the first two blocks I've ever seen him make. And I've watched a lot of Kyle Corver games, but those he totally owned Jalen uh, on those. Oh, oh, it was it, I mean, it struck me seeing it happen. Um, just un- didn't expect it, and I'm—he's definitely a better defender than he gets credit for. But I mean, he's, we're not talking about Bruce Bowen here. I mean, he's not—he's certainly not this kind of stuff you'd expect. Not at all. Um, so, anyways, so Cavs end up winning. It seemed like every time in that game that the Celtics had a chance to get back into it, something would happen. The Cavs would answer. Uh, we also had the huge swing with the. Uh, Marcus Morris offensive foul on his leg drifting forward. Um, and Kevin Love got hung up, went flying. Uh, what should have been a four-point play uh, turned into a, uh, uh, an offensive foul on the Celtics. Uh, so that was a huge momentum killer. Now, they, they ended up getting a stop on the other end. And then, I, and then we did score, I think, coming back up the floor. But at the same time, um, it was a huge momentum buzzkill. And um, I, I thought that was the, the point where, like, had that, had that gone, even forget about the fourth point, forget about the foul. If, if that three goes down, um, they would have sucked the energy out of that building. Instead, the Cavs got all fired up from that. Uh, and it, it, that was really um, basically the, the, the beginning of the end for the Celtics and squashing what, what should have been a huge momentum. I was so pissed about that, and not just because of the momentum aspect of it, but and I wrote on this earlier in the week. There are two new rules, and both of them came into play uh, in this particular situation, and one of which is called the the Zaza rule or Zaza rule, however you pronounce his name, um, and that is basically designed to keep people from from putting their foot down in front of you. Um, but then the other one is the Draymond Green rule, I guess you can call it. I don't think it's really picked up a colloquial name in quite the same way, but it's basically to prevent players from getting nutmeg. And that was the one that the refs decided to, to use to, to call a foul in this situation. The impetus of the rule was explicitly to address players getting kicked in the nads. That is what the rule was for. I mean, there was no other reason that rule became a, a, the way that they, they start enforcing that call. 
And it's an important rule. No one likes getting kicked in the balls. But the other rule is kind of more important, in my opinion, because, you know, you can get pretty hurt from being kicked in the balls, but it won't affect your basketball career long term. It just isn't going to. However, coming down on someone's foot or coming, you know, getting knocked off your center of balance in the air, which is the entire point of having this, you know, airspace rule where you're not supposed to be underneath where a player is expected to land after making a shot. If you look at a slow down version of it, like, yes, it's true. Kevin Love was definitely moving through the air in a way that he would have missed him if he had not extended his leg. But he extended his leg about six inches in a perfectly normal shooting motion, and his leg went underneath where he should have expected his leg to go. So, yeah, it was just a really, really awful call and a potentially dangerous one, in my opinion. It's really good that nobody got hurt out of that. I know it wasn't intentional at all on Kevin Lowe's part, but it was it was pretty much a reckless closeout, and that is, in my opinion, the intention of that rule in the first place. So after game four, the Celtics went back to, came back to Boston, came back home, um, had a convincing win that they ran basically coast to coast against Cleveland. Um, ended up winning 96-83. Uh, shot a measly 36.5% from the floor, but the defense was off the chain. Uh, held Cleveland to 83 points. Um, thoughts on game five, Justin? What, what caused the turnaround? I think that LeBron is freaking exhausted. You know, like we saw in game four that they, they in game three particularly, they, they were just like world beaters. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're an older team and they've gotten a lot of rest with that weird, you know, multiple day gap that yeah. is now gone. The mini vacation, yeah. Yeah. That's the best answer I got, really. So and we saw some, um, obviously we were talking before that the, for whatever reason, the Celtics have just been playing so much better at home this, this, uh, this postseason. But um, we saw Ty Lue make those adjustments we were talking about in game four, um, some of the stuff that he was doing playing matchups. Well, it seems like Brad, Coach Brad, uh, you know, caught on to that pretty quickly. And um, decided, and, and uh, this is maybe the funniest thing uh, that's come out of this series so far. But so apparently, post game, uh, Ty Lue was asked why Kyle Korver only played nine minutes in game five after you know he was uh, had solid performances in the other games um, back in Cleveland. He's been playing well, one of the better Cavs this series, and his answer response was that he was playing Kyle Korver matched up with Semi Ojale. And since Semi Ojale didn't play in the game, <laughs> he didn't put Kyle Korver in. Justin, what the hell is he even talking about? Well, okay, on its surface, that makes absolutely no sense. There have been some responses to that that have tried to justify it. And, yeah, you know, there is some truth to the fact that when you find good matchup combinations, you want to stick to them. And when you realize people can exploit others, you want to make sure that doesn't happen. But, I mean, was J.R. Smith, you know, destroyer of worlds? I, I, don't, I don't think he was doing so great in that game. And it wouldn't have been very hard to just, you know, try Kyle Corver in the third quarter. That said, I have a theory. Okay. Let's, I'd, I'd, let's hear it. So I thought about this long and hard. I did a little bit of research. And... I think 
Ty Lue might just be a sleeper agent. Oh, let's get your tin hats out, guys. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, you know, we are the premier podcast for Celtics news out there, and I'm sure Ty Lue listens. And, you know, me being a resident of Mexico is the first thing that connected anything in my head because he was born in Mexico. Did you know that? I did not know that. No, that's news to me. Well, it's not really the same thing because it's Mexico, Missouri. (laughs) Not quite the same thing. So once I realized it wasn't Mexico, Mexico, then I had to like try to, you know, see if there's anything else to my theory. And it turns out that there are some other connections, some very suspicious connections, I might add, that really support this theory. First of all, he was an assistant coach for the Boston Celtics the last time LeBron James dispatched them in 2012. Mm-hmm. So perhaps he's weaseled his way into the organization just to get revenge. Now, Ooh, I like this sleeper agent. Mm-hmm. But it gets there's there's a lot more. You know, on its surface, I know what you're saying. Lots of people change teams all the time, including players as well as you know staff. So th- that that in and of itself is not a particularly damning indictment. However, did you know who Ty Lu's cousin is? Why don't you tell us, Justin? Jason Tatum. Really. yes really once removed but first cousin once removed yes Jason Jason Tatum's dad Justin is Ty Lue's first cousin okay so you know there there is that saying blood is thicker than water and well his cousin's bleeding green I don't know I don't know could just be a bunch of smoke and mirrors but I'm suspicious you, you got to figure, right? Um, Cavs are going to be whole new look next year with LeBron pretty much gone. Um, this Ty, Ty Lue, maybe he's already got his other job. He's going to go back up uh, Doc Rivers after he signed his uh, extension over extension. there. <laughs> I mean, he's a former Celtic, you know? I mean, work for the organization. That's all you got to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Hey, that, that is a uh, fine, fine theory and something to keep an eye on if, uh, if, uh, if we notice that uh, J.R. Smith plays – 35 minutes again and got uh-huh. less than 10, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Playing matchups with the best shooter on your team um, and a rookie uh, second round draft pick. Um, that's just pretty, one of the funniest things that's come out of this series. And uh, Thank you very much, Ty, even if you didn't mean it. Now, we were talking earlier about Houston. Uh, little breaking news here. Just came across my uh, hub here. Chris Paul will not play in game six. He is out. <laughs> with a hamstring injury that certainly uh may change that <laughs> just that's a little it was nice while it lasted yeah so uh that's uh looks like they're going to game seven uh maybe they're just charging him up and hopefully he's gonna play uh game seven maybe it's just safety's sake and uh they probably feel better about their chances in a game seven than playing tomorrow night that would give him uh Three days off? That would today, tomorrow, four. That would give him four days between the next game? That's probably enough to get into game shape if it's just a grade one. He might be able to play. And, you know, if he re-injures it and they lose, he's got all summer, so what's to lose? Right, yeah. And I I think it's probably best, um, you know, their best chance of closing out the series would be in Houston, right? So um, maybe you let Chris Paul heal up and and hopefully you, you have him for game seven, you know? 
Um, rather than throw him out there for game six, he re-aggravates it, and then you don't have him at all for game seven, right? I mean, that's, and that's probably the thinking behind this, if, if you were asking me. So, um, I think so. Something something to, to watch, though. I mean, obviously, the Celtics are going to hopefully – Hopefully, they've got a good shot here to, to make the NBA Finals. And uh, obviously, uh, the, the winner of that series will obviously be paramount if that's the, uh, if that's the case. Um, but the series aside right now, um, some NBA news right now. Al Horford named second team all defense. Oh, so Jason Tatum missed first team all rookie unanimous by one vote. Uh, somebody voted for Josh Jackson, uh, which... Um, given the end of season numbers, kind of crazy, but Josh Jackson did have a, a huge, uh, you know, closeout to the season. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was averaging 20, uh, for Phoenix over the last couple months, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. I initially thought that that was really weird. And, you know, I stopped paying attention once I thought he was kind of meh, even on that, that, you know, amazing Phoenix team. Just because of the, the, the draft shenanigans he pulled with holding his medicals so he wouldn't end up coming to Boston, and I would like to shake the man's hand for that. Not that he is, you know, proven to be bad. He definitely deserves to be, you know, in the conversation, but I'm pretty convinced that whoever gave him that vote was a local Phoenix writer. I don't know who else would have done it, even after seeing what he's done later in the season, which, as I said, I stopped paying attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, he deserves it, but uh, I don't see how you look at him and say, yeah, Jason Tatum's a better guy here. Yeah, no kidding. The worst guy, excuse me. Uh, Well, speaking of Tatum, uh, we got this whole Kobe uh, film study thing. Tatum saying he watched it, what, 20-something times, uh, the the Kobe breakdown of his play. Um, I know there's people – Well, he had a little slippage uh, when when the series went to Cleveland. I mean, he's played well, but he he started playing a lot more iso ball. People seen a lot of Kobe – uh, S traits from him there. Um, wondering if that was a good thing for him to be, you know, uh, listening to Kobe Bryant's critiques rather than uh, Coach Brad's. I think that there's something to that. You know, I think about it got into his head a little bit. Then, frankly, the, the the only real thing that I have an issue with in the videos is just the, you know, the the moves designed to function as long twos. They're still good, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, can we not maybe find ways to draw the offense out another couple of feet? Yeah, I I think we're we're done with the long twos, right? No no more of that stuff, right? It's threes and layups, maybe. That's what we're looking for. Uh, In other news, too, uh, Celtics legend Bill Russell was rushed to the hospital last weekend. Um, Apparently, he's he's fine now. Uh, Obviously, our, our thoughts... With Bill, big recovery. Obviously, we don't uh, want to see anything happen to him. You you saw how he was uh, joking after Game Three. I think he's going to be okay. His um, he had a comment that I thought was particularly funny, where his, he said his wife pointed out that that we shouldn't be worried about his heart because he doesn't have one. Bill <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> Russell, relentless. Ask Will Chamberlain about that. He knows. New segment here uh, is the Grass Greener. We've got a special Cavs edition here because we've got some players on the Cavs that were former Celtics. Uh, the one who's played the most in this series, uh, Jeff Green, and uh, most recent, well, no, not most recent. I was Celtics actually, technically. Take that back. Um, 
but Jeff Green uh, had a breakout here in Boston a few years back um, under Coach Brad. Um, he, speaking of players with heart. Yeah, right. Um, speaking of no heart. Um, <laughs> I was trying to be nice. Come on. <laughs> Jeff Green, uh, talented guy, right? Um, and uh, he's signed this year as a, with a veteran minimum contract uh, with Cleveland. Um, back with the Celtics when he was last with us, he was averaging 17.5 points a game, four rebounds. He shot 30% from three, 48%. Um, uh, he was playing 30-plus minutes a game. Now with the Cavs, uh, he's playing. Uh, he plays 23 minutes a game, uh, just under 11 points per game. He's been an effective member of the team. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on Jeff Green? Even though he was putting up a lot of points when he was in Boston, they were mostly empty points, and particularly in his last season with Boston, he was – I mean, it was really – Probably the worst, maybe not the worst, but the second, they have a second worst season under Brad's uh, tenure. And 17 points on a team that is, you know, and I think they made the playoffs that year, but I mean, it was just, it was a development year, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that he is still scoring significantly and having some pretty good nights on occasion uh, and actually shooting better from three, in, you know, in general, mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of feel like. Jeff Green is is more important to this, you know, quasi-contending Cleveland team than he ever was in Boston. So, you know, I think he, the grass is greener for him in Cleveland. I don't know if there's much of a future for him there, but... I think he's actually found a role this year. Um, I think when he left the Celtics, people thought that he could be, uh, you know, um, top one of the top players on a team and, you know, scoring-wise scoring anyways. And uh, I think now he's kind of settled into... Being a you know a force off the bench, he's you know he provides them with he can shoot a little bit from the outside, he can do a lot of different things. Um, he's got some length, which is in today's NBA, you know, obviously a plus, huge plus. So um, I, I I would agree with you there. Now for the next guy, the guy that Jeff Green got traded to the Celtics for in exchange. Why are you there? Yeah, uh, Kendrick Perkins. Um, he signed with the Cavs this year. Um, Basically, as a locker room presence, because he's only gotten on the floor one time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, obviously, I think he would probably have understood his role coming in. I mean, do you think that Perkins thought he was going to be playing more? I think Perkins hoped he was going to be playing more, but I think he knew that he very likely wasn't. And at this point in time, I would even consider ruling him out because their bigs have not been super effective. And. You know, give him give him some meaningful minutes somewhere in this series, just one more time, and see if he can do anything. You never know. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to do it if, if they waited this long. I think that ship has sailed, and and not to mention that his matchup. I mean, who I'm not sure that he would be a good matchup against. I mean, obviously him and Aaron Baines would be fun to watch going up against each other because Baines is essentially plays the Kendrick Perkins role now for the for the Celtics. Um, Absolutely, I think he could do it for a couple of minutes, but yeah. No, it, it would be fun to see them go at it, but um, I think Al Horford just too quick for Perkins. Uh, he wouldn't be able to uh, contain him on the block. Um, I just miss Perk, man. I want to see him on the court one more time. Yeah, uh, me too. I hear you. I hear you. Maybe we'll get him in some garbage time. That would be awesome if they could check him in one more time when we're knocking them off the floor in Game Seven. Preferably uh, in Boston, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't really be the same if he was. When doing we're up it twenty, you know, when we're up twenty, have Perkins check in. Come on, Ty. Ty. Ty was here with Perkins, so I mean, you know, a little. Uh, you know, have a little loyalty here, buddy. 
Um, now the other guy um, didn't actually get in Celtics green. Uh, he we would, didn't say we didn't say if the grass was greener. Oh, for Perkins, it, it's not greener. No. Yeah, no, it's very clear it's not. They're, they're, he's about to lose this series <laughs> to the Celtics. Without you know, even really not even playing on the team that he's yeah. playing. So there's no chance that that's greener. The only way that the grass would be greener is if somehow the Cavs won the championship, which uh, I think is uh, about that negative. Ain't happening. <laughs> that will not happen. Um, anyways, uh, the other guy, Ante Zizic. Uh, he, now, I was a huge Zizic guy last year. Uh, I thought he was, you know, he was a raw talent for the Celtics. Uh, he, he was um, just when he when he finally came over, he got some some run in the G League. Uh, he played summer league. Um, he looked like, you know, uh, certainly a work in progress. But there was a lot of potential there with his based on his size and the things that he could do. Um, you know, we love our big big guys here in Boston. They always seem to get uh, a lot of love. Um, unfortunately, we never did get to see him with the Celtics. I say unfortunately, but not really, because we traded him for as part of a deal for Kyrie Irving. So that does not not really unfortunately. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, so he's played a little bit for the Cavs this year, right? Um, he, a couple he of games well. of garbage time, yep. Yeah, and uh, and he played very well for them in the in the G League. He was averaging sixteen and nine, um, almost uh, almost sixty percent from the floor. Um, so uh, I, I mean, kind of a no slam dunk, no brainer. Um, grass is definitely greener for him now that he's playing. Yeah, and I think he's going to have a future with them, particularly if LeBron leaves, which he's almost certainly going to. Not that, you know, he's going to be playing in LeBron's position or anything like that, but I think there's just going to be a lot more minutes um, on the, you know, combo wing to forwards areas in general. So that's going to give him more space to play, uh, particularly considering how bad they're going to be. I think they're going to be a little bit more okay with him being on the floor. He's just got no space to develop on a team that has the aspirations this Cleveland team has. So I think, I think once this season ends for him, his future with Cleveland is probably pretty, pretty bright. And I don't, I don't really know that he would have gotten any more, you know, chance to play for Boston anytime soon. And realistically for the future too, because Boston, unlike Cleveland, they think is going to stay in that contending position for a considerable amount of time. Yeah, the, he's certainly – the opportunity will be there for him to play next year, uh, given that the Cavs will probably be rebuilding. So uh, definitely green green pastures ahead for Ante Zizic. And if he can play, we'll find out sooner rather than later. Um, thoughts heading into game six tonight, 8.30. Uh, final thoughts, Justin. What do you think? I think we're going to know in five minutes of game time whether we're going to be I playing th- in Boston. I think, I think you are a spot – I think at the end of the first quarter, we're going to have a real good idea – of where where this uh, what is going to end in? Uh, I still feel confident about the Celtics in seven games. Um, I think that's where we're headed. Um, but I would love I would love for us to walk out of there tonight with a victory. But um, my money says Game Seven. I think it's probably right. I'm hoping for Game Six, but I think you're probably right. And you know what? It's more basketball we get to watch. So one more Celtics game we get to see. As always, check out the link at the top of CelticsLife.com. We've got a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store. You can even get tickets to the next game under that heading. Find the blog on the pod on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcatcher apps. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, hit us up on the comment of any Celtics Life article or on Twitter with that hashtag CLPod. Guys, game five, over. Game six, 
Celtics tonight. We got this. Take care, y'all.